sure we've all been to a happy hour or 50, uh, whether it's in the interest of networking or in an effort to not think about work at all. But have you ever really thought about the liquid that ends up in your glass? Today on Shack Shack, we have Sherna Lane, who is a chemical engineer and technical sales manager at Le Lemon Biofuels and Distilled Spirits, which is one of the leading fermentation ingredient suppliers to both the fuel ethanol and distilled spirits industries. Welcome, Chernel, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so very much for having me. So um, tell us what your role as a technical sales manager for biofuels and distilled spirits looks like. You know, what, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Uh, my role is very diverse, and it really allows me to be very hands-on and analytical, um, and it does entail quite a bit of travel. So these are all things that I like to do. Um, the main focus in my role is really to provide technical support and training to distillery personnel um, at distilleries in the Caribbean, but also in the U.S. Okay. So these are any person who's making um, spirits such as rum, gin, vodka, whiskey, and bourbon. Okay. It really all also entails, yeah, all, yes, all of this stuff. <laughs> um, it also entails a lot of troubleshooting, process issues, um, identifying any areas of concerns with process efficiency, whether it's something that's operational or if it's a process design issue itself. Um, it entails doing plant audits, looking at how um, the plant, if it has any sanitary concerns or bottlenecks, which okay. affect the throughput and the operation of the process. Um, I'm also very much involved in distillery startups and improvement projects, um, but also get to participate a lot in um, industry conferences and events. So, okay, like I said, well, it's very diverse. I do quite a bit of things. <laughs> yeah, it, very fun and interesting. It, I, I have to say, it definitely does sound like an interesting job, and I, and from the travel pics, it does seem to have its perks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what part of the job would you say you are the most passionate about? I guess, what gets you up in the morning? Apart from the travel, because I do love to travel, um, it's the flexibility and the versatility that my role allows. Okay. Um, my career choice as a chemical engineer, I knew that I would have versatility and lots of options in terms of what kind of industry I would be able to work in. So just knowing that I have that flexibility and varying options keeps me going. Okay, okay. So have you always wanted to be a chemical engineer? And I guess, what was your experience like pursuing this particular discipline in Canada and the UK? Asking this question, honestly, maybe 30 years ago, I <laughs> think I would have said something like, you know, I'm going to be either a neurologist or a neuroscientist, something Big along dreams. that line, <laughs> okay. because I really was interested in the whole area of neurology and just how the central nervous system works and all this kind of stuff. But in my teenage years, I really realized that my interest for biological science was not as strong as my interest in things like chemistry, physics, and mathematics. Okay. Um, and then I began to just investigate, you know, what engineering was all about. I was always interested in how things worked, the way they did, why did they work that way, how they were made, and stuff like that. So my curiosity, mm -hmm. and my passion, and just analytical nature led me to, to chemical engineering. As I said, I wanted something that would give me diversity in terms of career options mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah okay so I mean I know you studied in Canada and the UK and I, I imagine uh, you know um, engineering 
is not a field that is filled with maybe a lot of black female but you know maybe you could tell me if that was your experience in Canada and the UK or you know maybe it wasn't um what can I say my experience um at university was interesting I think for me that was the first time that I really became aware of what racism was mm -hmm. you know I grew up all my life in Barbados I left an event to Canada to pursue this degree and I got to an environment where I was the only black girl in most of my classes. I didn't have any black professors. There were very few people that I saw who looked like me in the engineering department itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I had this one particular professor who would, who was just really strange and rude, you know, rude because I was performing at the top of my class. I was on the Dean's list. And this, this professor just continued to say to me, you know, um, I think you should, um, why are you pursuing this degree? I think you should look to go to Hollywood and become an actress like Halle Berry. And I kept thinking, wow. what? <laughs> what are you really saying to me? And I he would say, like, on more than one, more than one occasion, I just couldn't understand. And, you know, you get the questions like, well, what do your parents do for a living? Um, mm -hmm. How can you afford to pay these fees? Why, why do you want to be an engineer? You know, there's so many options for you. Why don't you go look to pick up a trade or do a craft? And I was like, <laughs> wow, really yeah. happening. But, you know, I got past that initial shock and I really remained focused on what the, the price and bottom line was for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I became very much involved in a lot of student groups on campus, especially this group called the National Society of Black Engineers. Okay. Um, and that really allowed me to meet like-minded students and it made my experience significantly better. Okay. Um, for my UK degree, I actually did that by distance learning. So that was a lot easier. I studied at my own pace. I didn't okay. have to really interact with Fair enough. students per se. So yeah, that was the challenge for that was that I was also working full time okay. um, in the manufacturing industry, which was 24 hour oper a 24 hour operation. So I was always on call, but I needed to <laughs> find yeah. time somewhere yeah. in my busy schedule just to get yeah, just to get all the work done. Okay, that 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 is interesting. Um, so <laughs> rum is something that is deeply embedded into the history and culture of Barbados and the region. You know, did this factor into you finding your way into a career in the alcohol industry, or was that kind of purely by accident? Honestly, it was purely by accident. Initially, <laughs> when, I, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after graduation, I had plans of having a job in the oil and gas industry, so which is relatively similar to what I'm doing now because it still involves unit operations like distillation and, and separation and stuff like that. But upon graduation, um, I wasn't able to find a job in Canada. So as an international student, I really had to relocate back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, are returning back, I applied for jobs and I, my, my options here were limited, but I was able to get a, a post as a engineering management trainee at Goddard Enterprises Limited. So I, it was an 18 month program and I was just working on numerous engineering and management projects at all their manufacturing facilities. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was like nine months into the program, I got a call and they were like, you know, your next assignment is going to be at West Indies on Distillery. Um, we think you're performing very well and we'd actually like to offer you a position as an assistant production manager and I'm thinking okay well I'm cutting this management training program short okay. and I'm going full fledged into a management role having 
employees reporting to me and, and what's not. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's why I ended up in the, the rum making business. <laughs> okay. I've been doing it now for about 16 years. Wow, okay. So, well, I guess you kind of found this career, right? Found you. Um, so <laughs> tell us a bit about, I guess, the alcohol making process. Maybe there are some interesting things that lead to um, consumer satisfaction, I guess. You know, maybe you could tell us a bit about that, that process. I think people don't really think about that as much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I want to share some basic secrets with you, but please, I am in no way encouraging anyone to go off and start making alcohol in their kitchen and making moonshine and all these kind of things. So don't try this at home then. <laughs> Do not try this at home. Definitely okay. not. <laughs> Definitely not. But um, I say alcohol can basically be made by two steps. So the first step is the fermentation process. And this is the most critical part of alcohol production. This is where yeast um, converts sugars into alcohol, energy, and a number of flavor components that we call congeners. Now anybody who has indulged in distilled spirits, with the exceptions of um, maybe, well not even, but all more or less, mm -hmm. have an idea of what they smell like and what they taste like. When you open that bottle or you pour your first glass and you you're approaching your mouth with it. You first thing you get is a smell. Yes. And that's what entices people. People like certain things. So the fermentation process basically converts the sugar in whatever raw material you're using to not only alcohol, but to all these flavor compounds. Okay. After the fermentation process, then what we call fermented beer or wash goes to the distillation process where all these components are basically separated based on their variations in boiling points. Mm -hmm. So the alcohol comes off at various strengths depending on what it is that you want to make and how you're going to operate your still. Um, there are different still designs that can be used to make whether it's rum, gin, vodka, whiskey, whatever. Okay. Um, if you're making just a neutral alcohol that you are then gonna maybe add maybe some flavors to it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your process more or less ends at distillation until you add those flavors okay. if you want to make a rum or whiskey it then has to go through a maturation or aging process in a barrel for maybe two years three years depending on where the product is being made and also what you're actually making okay so that's that's rum production in a <laughs> In a simple in a simple in a simple sense. Then if you want to do things like um, let's say make surgical alcohol or denatured alcohol, these it's pretty much the same process. It's just then once it comes off the still, you add some agents to it that make it not fit for human consumption because you're not gonna use the same alcohol that you use in surgery. Yeah. In a bottle for, <laughs> for somebody to drink. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that, that was actually pretty interesting. Don't worry. I won't try that at home. <laughs> so chemical engineering and the alcohol industry are still very much uh, male-dominated industries, which is interesting because I was actually reading there was a time when brewing was not so uncommon to women. So maybe yeah. you can share some insights um, on women in brewing in general and your own personal experience within this industry. Well, brewing has really been in existence for several decades, and 
women honestly have played a very critical role in the brewing industry. Um, let's go back thousands of years, places like ancient Egypt, where mm -hmm. women were heavily involved in brewing and bread making, which in themselves are fermentation sciences. Um, okay. And those were domestic tasks that fell to the women of the household. So women have been involved in this for, for a very long, very long time. Um, there was a period then in the mid 18th century where commercialization of brewing took place. We started to see the occurrence of uh, craft brewing, but it was becoming a male dominated industry. So women were very heavily involved at that time. Their roles were declining. Mm -hmm. They were still mm -hmm. involved in it from the aspect of being like uh, tavern owners and stuff like that. But in terms of brewing itself, they weren't involved. Okay. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, we've seen again a reemergence of women in the brewing industry. We have women who are, whether they're chemists or lead scientists um, at a craft brewery, if they own their own brewery or if they've gone on to become brewmasters or some of the leading um, brewing companies like Miller Coors and, and Heiser Bush and stuff like that. So women are again making their mark, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. making their mark in brewing. Okay. That's, that's um, good to know. Yeah, in terms of my experience in a male-dominated industry, um, it's been interesting and it's been very motivating for me. Okay. Um, I think, from my point of view, I think the biggest challenge that's faced in the industry is one of egos. Mm -hmm. And women are often underestimated. That's been my experience. You know, I've been told it's a man's world. A distillery is no place for a woman. I've been in situations where I've been overlooked for projects and even had male colleagues receive credit for all the work that I have done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and I got to a point where I'm just like, you know what? I can ignore people and their egos. I can ignore their insecurities. I let the underestimation motivate me because I have a strong sense of who I am. I know everything I need to know about getting my job done. I am quite competent and able to do my job. And for me, my focus is always on continuous improvement to ensure that I have the knowledge, the know-how, the experience and the tools to, to do my job. So in the grand scheme of things, honestly, I would say working in a male-dominated industry has made me stronger. It has made me more focused um, okay. and it's made me more determined to, to be a success. Okay. That's, I think that's, that sounds good. Um, so I mean, we, we talk about the male-dominated industry. Um, what do you think we can do to encourage more girls to pursue studies in STEM, which, as you know, is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics? And what yeah. do you think is the, you know, the significance of increasing the number of women following these kinds of career paths? Well, believe it or not, in the year 2020, <laughs> women are still very much underrepresented in science, mm -hmm. technology, engineering, and math. And it's not from a lack of having the intellectual ability. I mean, girls have the intellectual capacity to succeed, succeed in STEM. I think the two main things that discourage girls from pursuing STEM careers is negative stereotypes mm -hmm. about their intellectual abilities, and then also stereotypes that people who are focused on STEM are nerds <laughs> and nobody, nobody wants to be considered a nerd <laughs> so we have to make them cool <laughs> yeah you know nobody wants to be called a nerd but i think jerry there there are quite a few things that can be done and i think it must be it must start from a young age 
I think parents and teachers definitely have a role to play. Parents more so if you realize that your child has an interest in science, technology, math, engineering, anything like that, encourage them. Mm-hmm. There's this belief often that because you're a girl, you're supposed to want to play with dolls and you're interested in nail polish and makeup. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these things, mm-hmm. but I'm saying if you realize that your child is, has other interests, then focus on those interests. Let the, the girls play with Lego. Give them science kits. I mean, I have two nieces and I encourage them to do all this kind of stuff. Don't yeah. limit them because you have to start them from an early age. It's a long process. They have to go through teenage years. They have to be comfortable with themselves. They have to know what their intellectual abilities are. Do not stifle them. Let them build things. Yep. Even if you have to monitor them. I, I say it's important to, for teachers as well to encourage their students. If they're interested in science and engineering and math and technology, work with them. We need to have science fairs in the schools. Um, the university can do things like having science fairs where they invite primary school or secondary school students to participate. Let's have math marathons and math competitions. Let's have building projects. Encourage girls to participate in these things. That's the only way they're going to believe in themselves and understand that they can do it if they put their minds to it. It's also important for them to have role models. Mm-hmm. So it may be a bit of a challenge because I'm not sure in terms of percentage how many females we have here in STEM careers in Barbados. But it's important to find a role model for them. Yep. You know, get them to do some internships. Partner with whatever few companies there are on the island to get a summer internship for, for your daughter. Find a, a mentor and a role model for her so she can understand you know, what her career choices are, get an understanding for what that individual has been through. So they can tell her, okay, these are some of the do's and don'ts. These are the things to look out for. These are the benefits of the career path mm-hmm. that you're, you're going to choose. Yeah. And I mean, now that you mentioned that, I didn't notice that um, recently, BAPE, um, they had a, I think they, for International Women in Engineering Day, they did have a video kind of highlighting some women yes. in engineering. And I thought that was quite positive. Yes, yes, I, I did think so as well. Because engineers, women engineers are often overlooked. So, you know, uh, but hopefully, you know, we can do some more things to encourage. Um, oh, yes, definitely, definitely. You know, but it has to start, it has to start from, from early and they have to be confident and also believe in themselves because it's not going to be an easy career path. I would never tell anybody that it's going to be easy. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be times where you're going to ask yourself, do I really want this? Why am I really doing this? But if you are really passionate about it and you really want it, then you give it all you've got and you just go for it. Yep. I think that sounds like good advice. Um, so I know you're also a member of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling and you sit on their examination board. Uh, so tell me a bit about the, that institute and you know, the kind of the path to sitting on that particular board. Well, this has been a very short but fulfilling path. Um, so my first year that I started working with Lalamond, I was asked to present, do a presentation on rum production at the alcohol school, mm-hmm. right? Um, by the director of the Ethanol, uh, Ethanol Technology Institute, who is a gentleman named Dr. Graham Walker. And he's also a member of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. And I had met Graham a few years prior to joining Lalamond. I had traveled to Scotland to do a presentation at the World Distilled Spirits Conference on um, some research I had done on the effects of using antibiotics and antimicrobial products in fermentation. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in discussions with Graham, he said to me, you know, the Institute was looking to recruit some younger professionals who had industry experience, but who also had interest in improving the way things were currently um, being done. They wanted to um, improve the course material that they were offering to the students. So I received an email uh, from the director of the Institute. We had a few discussions and short um, interviews because um, I had been recommended by Dr. Walker. And after the initial meetings, I just knew it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would say the rest is um, history. So the Institute really focuses a lot on education. So it's education for both the brewing and distilling industries. Mm -hmm. um, they offer anything from certificate levels in both brewing and distilling. They also offer diploma level, um, diploma levels. And then there's also a master brewer and master distilling uh, program, program as well. So okay. I, yeah, I initially started out just sitting on the board of examiners. So my role really is to set the exam papers for students who are doing the certificate and distilling, um, diploma in distilling examinations. Mm -hmm. uh, this is now year three. Uh, in year two, I was then contacted um, by the director again and asked if I would be willing to actually write the course material for okay. the certificate and diploma programs. And of course I said, yes, this is of my course. opportunity to <laughs> also introduce rum on a more international stage because it is the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, but a lot of the work was focused on whiskey. Okay. That's, it that's did cover all spirits, but they wanted to expand the scope of what they were offering because one of the things that the Institute is really looking to do is to bring a lot more international members in to the organization. It is a large organization, over 3,000 um, people, but you find there is the international chapter is very small, and mm -hmm. obviously we don't have a lot of people from the Caribbean or this side of the world yeah. being actively involved because the course content did not cover a lot of rum production. Right. So I thought okay. this was my opportunity to really make a difference and uh -huh. to enhance what they were offering so that we could get more persons joining and becoming members of, of the Institute and just getting the general knowledge that they require to do their jobs better. Okay, that's, that's actually pretty interesting in terms of including rum. Uh, that is, um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So if you had a chance to make changes within this industry, I mean, I, I realize that you are doing a lot of stuff, some of what you mentioned there in terms of including rum and that kind of thing, um, I guess, on the curriculum. But what kind of changes would you like to see within the industry if you had, you know, if you had the power to make a ch some changes or a change, what would that look like? I think the first thing that I would really like to see happen is more inclusivity of women. Okay. Um, yes, the, the industry is growing to the point where, yes, there are a lot more women um, involved, but I would like to see women on executive boards and committees because women have a lot to bring to the distilling industry. Women are not only very analytical, but women have a strong sense of smell. One of the things that's important in this industry, you have to be able to do what we call um, organoleptic testing on a product before any product goes into a bottle or is shipped out to a customer you have to be able to assess your product you have to know that you have to taste it you have to be able to detect whatever defects there are in the product and that's the kind of stuff that women are good at i don't know if it's something in our <laughs> genetic makeup but it we're good at that, you know we're good at 
seeing defects, if it's a defect in a bottle, whether it's a crack, <laughs> whether it's some, you know, we, we pick up these things, yeah. we notice these things. So women, women do have a lot to contribute um, to the industry. They're creative in terms of, you know, product development and all these kinds of things. And the, area is the industry is moving to a point where um, there is lots of premiumization of products and people are looking at new and innovative ways of doing things because yes, there are some people who may like uh, whiskey the way it was 20 years ago or rum the way it was 20 years ago, but we're dealing with newer generations now. The cocktail industry is very big. Uh, people are getting very creative with what kind of cocktails they want, how they're mixing drinks. So women, women can definitely play a significant role in all of these, in all these things. So I really think inclusivity of women. Um, also, I think I would like to see a more focus on training and education in the industry. Um, okay. We've seen the emergence of, or the boom of craft distilling all across, all across the world. And it may be for many just a hobby. Somebody may have a lot of money and may just decide one day, I just want to have my own gin or my own vodka. I'm gonna get a license and start making stuff out of my garage or I'm gonna build a small distillery next to my house or whatever the case may be. And it's becoming a hobby. But I think it's important that people are formally trained and understand what it is that they're really doing. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with alcohol. Yes, you need to have a license to produce it. It is a flammable product. You're operating equipment at high pressures, high temperatures, all these kind of things. So it's important that people really understand the science and technology behind what it is they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think also for, for me in terms of contribution, just generally to continue with advancement and dissemination of knowledge in the industry through hands-on training. Um, and someday, someday um, maybe publishing a, a technical book on all aspects of fermentation science as it relates to rum production as well as distillation from a rum um, perspective. Right now, there are very few books, very few books anywhere that give a, a very detailed description of mm -hmm. what happens in rum production. And I think that's something that's lacking in the industry. The industry is going to be here for quite some time, and I think it's important that it's well doc everything that happens is well documented so i would at some point like to work on a book there's lots of books on whiskey production and bourbon production and all this kind of stuff but very very few on rum so that would be one one change that i would definitely like to or one well, contribution i would definitely like to make to to the industry well definitely i could imagine that you know um the barbadian and caribbean industry would be pleased with that kind of development for sure yeah. So my last question then, knowing what you know and doing what you do, does it make you extra critical when you go out for drinks? And what's your favorite drink? <laughs> um, I am not extra critical, to be honest. I am really not a drinker. Okay. Okay. Well, find that's that's a, I'm telling you. Given the industry that I am in, for me... <laughs> I like the hands-on and analytical side of things. I like the troubleshooting side of things. I, if I go, most of the time you will see me with maybe a bottle of water in my hand. <laughs> um, but I'm, that's not to say that I have not or have never tasted alcohol. Yes, I have tasted alcohol. Um, I don't have any issues with the consumption of alcohol. With anything else, I think it must be done responsibly. Yeah. Um, 
in terms of a preference, um, if I had to drink any kind of spirit, I would. I usually have Chardonnay, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. So that's my my drink of of preference. Okay. Fair enough. To be honest, I, I don't. I'm not much into the the harder spirits and. If I do partake, let's say I go to one of my clients and they're putting a new product, a new product out on the market, or they just, they just want my opinion and I have to do some testing on it and what's not, I tend to move more towards the, I have a preference for the sweeter, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sweeter thing. So I would prefer a rum that has a bit of a sweeter yeah. note to it, um, a whiskey that's a bit sweet. Um, I don't like things that are peated. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I tend to move towards the the sweeter side. Nothing wrong with nothing wrong with sweet. <laughs> nothing yeah, the sweeter side, the sweeter side of things. So thanks so much for joining us today, Chanel. It definitely has been interesting to find out a bit more about what goes into my glass. So thanks again. You are very welcome at any time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join us every other Wednesday for another episode of Shack Shack. Subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also connect with us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter, or by email at akilia at shakshak.club. Let's shake things up. <laughs>